Welcome to All the Social Ladies, a podcast bringing you candid conversations with the boldest women in digital marketing. I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media, and let's get into the show. So many pearls of wisdom in this week's interview with Amy Protexter, who is the Senior Vice President of North America Marketing at Insight. She's somebody who's always been fascinated by ideas, and that comes through in her interview. But what impressed me most was her real conversation around the ability to have confidence even when you're not feeling like you've got it within you and pushing through and doing it. A story is told throughout her career. And I also was obsessed with her ability to really understand how technology impacts not just marketing, but also sales in the B2B channel. Some interesting stuff in this interview. Take a listen. Welcome, Amy, to the show. Thank you, Carrie. I'm really delighted to be here today. I'm excited to have you, a fabulous social lady here today. And I thought in order for us to talk about your career and give some insight, we would start with the three moments that, looking back on your career, you think really defined it as the critical moments in the career that got you to where you are today. Okay. Well, a couple of things come to mind. Um, First of all, I recall um, a time or two when I had to hear some very, very difficult feedback Mm. about myself, my performance, um, and to a point where um, as a somewhat uh, perfectionist, it was, you know, devastating to actually sort of internalize this feedback. But, you know, I think what came out of that was the realization that feedback um, truly can lead to sort of exponential growth in your career, that that being able to get piercing insights, though painful sometimes, is actually a way to, to kind of leap ahead. And I think back to a couple of those specific moments, and I think, you know, those were the impetus for a, a period of tremendous growth for me and a little bit more of an understanding about who I was and, and how I was wired. So I, I would say there's a couple of those moments that sort of fall into that, you know, as, as one instance. The second was um, earlier in my career, I had really, I started in internal communications and public relations. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm a history major from college. I have a great liberal arts education from Augustana College in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I have never taken a marketing class in my wow. entire life. And, um, and so everything that I know about marketing, communications, um, social, I've just learned you know, by, by reading, by working in the industry and so forth. And so the second kind of defining moment was um, I had, I, there was a point at which I asked to take a, a senior marketing role in a healthcare organization that I was working in. And the first time I asked, I was turned down as like, no, you're really not qualified. You're not ready. Um, but I didn't give up. And about a year later, the opportunity came open again. And I went back to my boss and said, I really think I'm ready for this. And I really would like a shot. And that was another moment that sort of broadened the trajectory of my career tremendously. Mm. Um, And I was very successful in that role, which I think, you know, kind of led me to be able to be where I am today. Um, The third sort of defining moment was the ability for me to break out of healthcare. So most of my career had been um, in healthcare, either at a a mutual Omaha insurance company where I kind of started or um, transitioning more into healthcare delivery. I worked at a couple of very large healthcare systems and I was able to sort of 
come out of healthcare and jump into the education field and now into technology. And I think the, that, you know, that sort of ability to transfer skills from one industry to another, when a lot of times people say, well, if you haven't worked in education, you can't possibly understand our industry. Or if you haven't worked in technology, you can't possibly understand what it's like to work in the channel um, in technology today. And, and just sort of being able to prove those things incorrect. Like you can make those leaps across industries. So I would say those those are the three that really came to mind when I thought about this. So these are great, Amy. When I'm looking at these, and I, I kind of want to unpack a couple of thoughts around them, I think both giving and receiving feedback is, you know, so it's some of the most valuable things that we do in business and in, in life, really. Um, but it's also, it's so hard. So when you were getting the first feedback that was really hard, I'd love for you to share how you handled it. When you first took it, did you did you feel like, oh, no, this isn't true, it's not right, and, and then did you have to come to a place of acceptance? How do you deal when you get that tough feedback, and how do you use it to improve? Yeah, great question. So it's a very human response to sort of just want to curl up in a ball and go, it's not true. Like, yep. I, that can't possibly be true, you yep. know? And I think that is... It's not unusual for that to be anybody's first reaction. But I said to myself, okay, you know, I get to decide what's true and what's not. And I walked away and I really started to do some self-searching and, and, you know, let it kind of sit with me for a while. And I could start to see, you know, the truth in, in that feedback. The first one was really that I, I was really good at giving orders, but I wasn't really good at giving context. And so the team felt very, um, you know, this probably was one of my first manager roles. And the yeah. team felt like they didn't really understand the why. They were just like, I would, you know, to them, I would just kind of give orders and not give them any context. And so that was very unsatisfying to them. And as I sort of thought about what I needed, you know, I could kind of apply it to, well, I understand because I need the why too, right? I need to understand why I'm working on something and what its import is to the business or the, um, the outcomes that you were trying to achieve. And so I, I've kind of learned over time, you, you have to just like let it hit you in the gut and sit, sit there with it for a while and begin to sort of, you know, kind of tease out the truth for you um, if you can really have the courage to do that kind of deep self-reflection. Mm, I think that's that's what's key is really being able to truly self-reflect and and being able to look at the feedback and realize that it's coming from a good place, a place of wanting to make you better. I think that that's always been exactly. helpful to me. And as as definitely I can identify with that feedback when I was first a new manager, too. It's really it's be, becoming a manager. It's like nobody really nobody really teaches you that. That's something you have to learn um, just from experiencing your own your own experiences by being managed. Uh, you learn how to manage well. Yes, or how not to manage. Yes, right? yes, That's yes. The case maybe. For sure, for sure. <laughs> Everyone has that boss. Now, I know you mentioned, I think it was in moment two, you talked about uh, how you hadn't taken a marketing class and then you, you know, you, you said you really wanted to do this and you got the opportunity. You share that with my husband, who's a, a fabulous marketer and a best-selling author, very successful, all of these things, never took a marketing class. How, mm-hmm. how important is school to understanding marketing? Did you learn almost everything on the job? If you had to do it again, knowing what you know now, would you have majored in marketing or, or taken marketing classes? What do you think about that as a whole when we're talking to young people? I don't think I would change my path. Yep. I really don't. Um, I think as a history major, one of the things that 
that that taught me in a sort of a liberal arts, you know, sort of environment was how to connect ideas and how to understand sort of the, the, you know, what's happening in a period of history really starts to play itself out in the music, in the art, in the politics, in the architecture, Um, you know, being able to sort of step back and sort of look across and see the connections. I think that was really the most important skill to learn is, is, you know, connecting the dots, strategic thinking, understanding how to pull out sort of trends that, that transcend, you know, maybe individual activities that might be going on. And I think just all of the writing that I did, you know, a a history major just demands an incredible amount of writing of papers and essay tests and, and so forth learning to be a really strong um, and clear and compelling writer. I think, you know, those two skills, I think, end up translating into a lot of different directions. And for me, it was about, um, you know, the communication aspect. I really sort of fell into that. Um, my first job was working for the South Dakota Department of Transportation as a, as a like a writer, basically writing correspondence for the Secretary of Transportation and the governor and trying to translate kind of technical information into meaningful information for the audience. So, you know, knowing your audience, understanding, I mean, all of those things are sort of key tenets of, of marketing and communications. And, and I think it was more the, those underlying skills that taught me how to assimilate marketing and communications information into practical knowledge and, and less about the actual, you know, the actual schooling around those topics, Mm. around those disciplines of marketing. The other thing I would just add is like marketing is changing so incredibly fast that anything I would have taken in school all those years ago is honestly pretty much irrelevant today. And, and I think the way our world is moving, I think you could say that about a lot of disciplines that there's so much happening in so many different fields that just, you know, some of those underlying skills of being a lifelong learner and being able to sort of step back and see bigger pictures. And those are actually the valuable skills to work on when you are in school you know, how you can translate those into an actual field of employment um, sort of comes with just doing the job. It's interesting that you talk about the time that we're in right now, because when I took a look at your Twitter bio, I saw that it said, there's never been a better time to be in marketing. So I know it's a changing time and and things are very different now than they once were. Tell me why it's never been a better time to be in marketing than right now. You know, I think if you are somebody who enjoys lifelong learning, um, like I do, um, it is a great time to be in marketing. And, And I think when I, you know, you think back 10, 15 years ago, marketing was very focused on creative, on ads, on, you know, beautiful campaigns and, and broad sort of, you know, television commercials and things like that. And, and the way that technology has been able to help us become really stronger marketers with proof of the results that we are delivering, you know, we actually can get a lot of tremendous metrics around, uh, you know, the efficacy of the things that we're doing. It, it's that's really exciting to me. And mm. I, I think about um, our, my colleagues in sales and how their world is really starting to change because buyer's journey is so different, even in the B2B world that I, that I work in, that 
buyer's journey is is kind of help making them feel like their world is changing really quickly. And so I think marketing can also be sort of a hand up for sales to say like, hang on, you know, we just need to work out this new way to reach our audiences together because it truly is much more of a joint effort. Um, it's a partnership. We talk about a lot um, marketing. So you know, it's kind of an <laughs> intersection of sales and marketing. I and, love marketing. Um, I'm using that. I'm definitely crediting you and using that forever. Smarketing. So I think it's just an exciting time. There's so many new technologies, so much happening with artificial intelligence and bots and machine learning and, um, you know, just new ways to reach customers through social or, um, you know, communities and things like that. So if, if you like sort of transformation and change and um, always kind of learning something new and never knowing what your day is going to hold. To me, that makes it a great time to be in marketing. It's fabulous because you at Insight, you really sit at the crossroads between marketing and technology. And you, you watch, I love how you talk about how integrated sales and marketing are now. And really it all ties back to human com- uh, communication, right? You're talking about, we talk about this all the time, that B2B marketing is still P2P, person to person, right? And with social media mm-hmm. and all of these things, we are marketing person to person. I'm I'm interested in how you see technology, all of it, impacting the way that we communicate and do business together. You talked a little bit about it, but what are some specific things that you've seen change in smarketing as we're looking at how we're we're communicating using technology with our prospects and our community at large? You know, I think one of the biggest changes I see is just the the breadth of channels through which people want to engage today and that there is no one size fits all in the old world. If you had a technology need um, quite possibly you would pick up the phone and call your account executive. And that was the extent of what you, that's how, that's how you transacted um, or that's how you solved the technology issue. But with all of the um, impact that the internet has had, the the availability of information, you know, we know that 70%, perhaps more to, Day of the journey happens before somebody ever picks up the phone to call. So you have to be thinking about what are the pieces of information that people need at that very beginning stages of, of when they're trying to solve a problem with technology or with, with whatever your product you know, might be. And um, what we have found is, I think some, one of the latest statistics, I think it's a McKinsey statistic, is that B2B buyers actually interact with a minimum of six channels over the course of making a decision. So it might be through chat. It might be a phone call with their account executive. It might be some conversation on social media. Um, it could be that they go to some third-party sites and look for, um, you know, reviews and ratings or, or download a white paper. And so this this broadening of the channels um, makes it sort of a challenge to to produce all that content, to deploy all that content, and technology really helps us do that. You know, it gives us a platform to scale um, what could be a pretty you know overwhelming you know, task. And, and so the ability to kind of atomize content and spread it across different channels to reach people where, where they want to be reached. Um, we had a situation where we had a very large um, opportunity convert through a chat. 
and, you know, an account executive was a little bit like, wow, like, why didn't they call me? Like, you can't chat right. with my client. And we said, no, you're missing the point. That's what the client wanted to do. That's how the client wanted to engage. And so if you're in business today um, and you're working with other businesses, I think you have to look look um, hard and long at what consumer businesses are doing, because as you said, it's people to people. What we experience in our consumer lives is now bleeding over and becoming the expectation in our business life. And we want the same kinds of experiences, the same ability to get information, the same ability to do research, the same ability to kind of compare and contrast. And I think we, you know, for a long time, business was a little bit immune from that, but not today. And, And technology really helps us scale to be able to do that. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that scale because it's interesting that the salesperson and I as a you know former salesperson I spent most of my career in sales would have that reaction I would feel the same way because so much of sales especially B2B sales was about forming a relationship, understanding the need, you know, really having a seat at the table and being able to solve problems. And so now what I would imagine they're seeing is that if that can be done through chat, that can be very dangerous. But I actually believe that technology helps fuel those relationships. And so the blend, that's why I actually really hooked into and love your term, the blend between the upfront marketing of all of the touch points and then the conversion relationship management with a uh, good sales team is really key. I think I think it helps relationships. Do you think it helps or does it or could it hurt? You know, I actually think it it overall helps relationships because if ultimately like the, the next frontier that you read about in every marketing journal is customer experience. Yeah. And what that means is like not engaging the customer on our terms, yep. but letting them engage on their terms. And so you can actually, and, and that's what I've told, you know, some of our, our teams, our sales teams, it's like embrace this. Like if somebody wants to transact, then all that's doing is freeing up more time for you to have the really complex conversations that they do need you for, right? Like there's this blend of if it's a transactional, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's purely transactional, the technology can kind of take that off of your plate, give the client a great experience. And yet, you know, you get that time back in order to have the next critical conversation with your client around things that are much too complex to just simply transact you know, through a, ch- a chat. So I think you, it's it's all about a changing perspective. It truly kind of back to that marketing. It's really about the partnership and, and really understanding how um, that client experience can actually like deepen and solidify the relationship an account executive has with their client because they'll come back when they have options that meet the way that they want to kind of interact with the company, they're going to stay. I love that. Okay, Amy, we're heading over to our lightning round. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, I'm going to fire at you some questions. They are more about your own personal use of social media and experiences in social media, and you are going to tell me where it's at. Ready? Do you have your phone on you right now? Do you have your phone with you? I, I do. Okay. When you open your home screen, what apps are on your phone's home screen right now? Okay, well, I have the usual calendar, mail, message, phone, some of those, you know, utility tools, but I am never far away from my Starbucks app, my (laughs) Amazon app, my American Airlines app, um, and uh, my Words with Friends, which I love Words with Friends. Nice little release. 
Yes. Um, and Buffer. I love the, the functionality of Buffer for helping me um, keep up with social media posts. Awesome. My Amazon app is the most dangerous, expensive app I have on my phone. <laughs> I have a real problem. It's a, it's a serious, out. serious problem. The buy now button, it puts me over the edge. Okay. If you could only use one social network, which one would you choose? Oh, that's hard because um, for personal life, I really kind of keep that to Facebook. Yeah. Um, but I really, I use LinkedIn a ton for my professional life. Um, and so I would probably choose LinkedIn. So somebody pulls up your social profiles and they have access to them. Instead of Googling you, they're looking at your social media posts, but they don't know you. What three words would they use to describe you from looking at your social posts? Mm, I would say... Um, change agent, uh, passionate communicator, and I hope leadership. I think that's the other piece I, I really would like people to take away from my, my profile. Awesome. What woman do you admire most on social media today? So I've really been following um, a woman by the name of Lolly Daskal. I um, love she does Lolly Daskal. Of, uh, I you? love her. Yeah, I know her well. I, again, total student of leadership. And I think she, she has some wonderfully insightful articles and uh, kind of reposts and things like that. So I'm um, really um, enjoying her right now. Oh, I love that. I'll have to give her that shout out via Twitter. That's so awesome. Okay. What one piece of advice would you tell your younger self? Uh, you know, I had this question recently, and so I had a little chance to think about it. Um, I actually would be, um, I would tell myself to not be afraid of uh, people who are different than me. So kind of embracing diversity. And I don't mean that just in terms of race yep. or gender. I yep. really mean that in terms of like skill, yep. um, building a team, really understanding that it takes many, many different skill sets to to create a successful team. You don't get success when you get a bunch of people on your team that look just like you. Yep. Um, and that. That's been, a, I think, a really powerful lesson that I would love to impart to um, younger professionals. I think that's such an important lesson because it's you're right that it's not just about race or gender or background, you know, at all. We tend to hire people who resonate with us, and the people who resonate with us feel like us a lot of the time. And that's such a common mistake, hiring the people with your even your own skill sets, your own your own experiences. And ultimately, when you're able to remove that bias, it helps you. So I, I definitely support that advice. That's great advice that a lot of people should think of, especially when they're younger managers and hiring for the first time. It's, it's an unintentional bias that it needs really to be taught to eliminate. Because once you're conscious of it, it's like a game changer, game changer and skill sets, all, totally. all different things. Yes, 100 totally. percent. Awesome. You know, one thing I noticed about you that I just want to close with today on your on your when we talked about your career defining moments and we talked about how you went for the marketing job, even though you didn't go to school for marketing. And then we talked about how you changed out of the healthcare industry, which we didn't really get to touch on so much here. One thing that struck me about both of those moves is that they both required a good amount of confidence to change to change industries when you're not yet familiar with an industry requires confidence to say, hey, hey, I'm raising my hand for marketing and going there and doing it. That requires a lot of confidence. Tell me for you um, growing up and throughout your career. Have you had to work at all on your confidence? Do you experience the imposter syndrome or is it something that was more natural to you? Because to me, I heard both of those stories. I was like, wow, she's so confident. I want to be just like her. Uh, so I would I would love to know how you feel about your own confidence. 
Um, you know, I, I totally suffer from the imposter syndrome, um, but I believe I'm a huge believer in self-talk. Yep. And, um, you know, I think it's finding the quiet time to really search your, your soul. Like, what is it that you want to do with your life? Where do you want to be? And then just, you know, using that really positive self-talk to say, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. And, and honestly, a lot of times I, I feel like I'm faking it till I make it. I mean, truly I do. And, and I think, I know women suffer from this all the time. And I think we are probably way more competent than we give ourselves credit for. Um, but I will say, you know, success begets success. And so if you can have the courage to take a few of those steps and, and sort of get over the hurdle, um, it becomes easier to let that self-talk build the confidence in you. Um, but, but I, even in my current role at insight, um, you know, I, I truly sometimes look around and think like, when are they going to fit? When are they going <laughs> to figure out, figure really out the not... secret? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think it's just something that, um, you know, you, you have to just use your self-talk to overcome and, and just keep pushing forward. Well, you do a darn good job of it, Amy, because you sound like a confident, amazing woman, and you certainly are. So thank you so much for being on the show today. You are one fabulous social lady. Thank you so much, Carrie. I've really enjoyed our talk. And Amy, where should people follow you if they want to connect with you or anything on social? My uh, Twitter handle is at Amy Protexter, and I'm uh, just on uh, LinkedIn as Amy Protexter. So you should be, uh, Protexter is such an unusual last name. You should be able to find me pretty easily. It's always good to have an unusual last name. Well, it's (laughs) it's good if you're not like nefarious. If you're working on your career and all those things, it's really, really good. If if you have a bad rap, then it's really bad. But of course, for you, it's awesome. (laughs) Thanks for being on. Thanks so much, Carrie. That was all the social ladies. Don't miss new episodes every week. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you like what you heard, please rate and review the show. I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media and author of Work It, Secrets for Success from the Boldest Women in Business. Follow me, at Carrie Kirpin, everywhere. And for more social smarts, be sure to follow Likeable, at Likeable Media. Thanks for listening. Bye.